This podcast is sponsored in part by Fitz Scripps. You're a station manager. Your sales team needs fresh ideas and concise copy for client spots, but it's just not in the budget, right? To bring on a full-time hire, enter Fitz Scripps. Fitz Scripps Marketing Consultancy is owned and operated by a big ideas radio geek with experience writing thousands of scripts for a variety of local businesses in both small and major markets. To learn more, visit fitscripts.com. That's F-I-T-Z-S-C-R-I-P-T-S, fitscripts.com. Fitscripts, compelling copy that fits. A portion of this podcast is brought to you by Witty Voyager. Looking for a gift that is unique as the person receiving it? Witty Voyager is a company created by two sisters in collaboration with their dad. They started crafting at a young age with their nana, who taught them how to crochet and make cool things with plastic canvas. Now, they make cool things out of leather, wood, yarn, resin, and whatever else they choose to experiment with next. You can shop their handcrafted leather earrings, studs, necklaces, crocheted beanies, ornaments, magnets, and barrettes. And go to wittyvoyager.com, use the code FACE4RADIO at checkout for 20% off. That's FACE, F-O-R, radio. And it's at wittyvoyager.com, use the code FACE4RADIO. to the face for radio podcast getting real too real with radio's finest welcome to the fourth episode of the face for radio podcast i'm your host chachi angelo it's been uh it's been an, an interesting mix of how i come across people to interview um as you know uh, ryan and jimmy roach and uh, johnny o were um, friends of mine, uh, former coworkers. So it was easy for me to just call them, connect with them. Whenever we talked with Erica, uh, she was somebody that I connected with on Facebook on, uh, the radio peeps page. So this one is a, a different type of connection. Um, I, the, the voice that you heard do that little intro, her name is Laura Fitzgerald and she connected me with one of her former co-workers. His name is Jim Lenaway. Now, he worked in radio, which we will talk about, but his dad also was a radio man, and this is like the years just after, I believe, the Second World War. So I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Jim Lenaway. Welcome, sir. Hey, Chachi. I'm glad to be here, man. So, so uh, big thanks to Laura Fitzgerald for connecting us. But uh, I, I guess let's just start from let's just start from uh, the beginning of the the email that you sent. I mean, it seemed like your dad was really in the beginning of the rise of radio. He he was uh, actually there was a big change in radio. Um, you know, people may remember you know history that uh, in the 20s, 30s, 40s there were radio programs. Uh, you know the the Amos and Andy and the Shadow Nose and all of those those types of programs, which you know are now historical type things, but uh, but in in uh, at the end of World War II, radio changed away from being these programs and, and, and a lot of live music 
two records. They were starting to play these these new things called vinyls, you know, and forty fives were the were the rage. Yeah, um, kind of like uh, CDs were fifteen twenty years ago. And so, uh, as the radio stations would transition from the old to the new, he was one of those new guys, and they invented the name disc jockey, and he was a DJ. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, some of the stories he told were just phenomenal. So wait, your, your dad was basically one of the first disc jockeys, but what, what did he go as on the air? Well, for years, he used his real name, Ed Lenaway. Um, Lenaway came across as runaway all the time. Matter of fact, I still get it on the phone yet today. Runaway. Uh, runaway. Yeah. Ed, Ed Runaway. That's what everybody thought. That's a and, cool, that's a uh, really cool name, Ed Runaway. Yeah, well, yeah, Ed Runaway. Well, he didn't like it. He, you know, it was, it was it, they were, you know, misunderstanding his name. Right. So, uh, one day, uh, this is probably about 1954. He'd been on the air for eight, ten years at that time, um, and he's standing in the grocery store in Fairmont, West Virginia. And I heard oh. one of your podcasts earlier. You're a West Virginia. Yeah, you know, well, you, my, you know that my my sister uh, graduated from Fairmont University. I spent many yeah. of many a nights that I'll never remember in Fairmont. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so my dad is is the morning DJ. He's, got, uh, he's this short little guy, but a great big voice. Everybody thought he was much bigger than he was. Uh, big booming voice, big booming personality. Yeah. So as he's checking out of the grocery store, the A&P or whatever it was in, in Fairmont, um, he's chatting with the cashier who he knows a little from being in there. The lady behind him taps him on the shoulder and says, excuse me, you sound like that fellow that's on the radio in the morning. He goes, <laughs> well, yeah, that's me. She says, I don't remember your name, but you have a dog named Mr. Willie. <laughs> she knew the dog's name and couldn't remember his name. She's always telling the stories about, about the dog chasing cars and, you know, that our dog had his own chair and all that kind of junk. So whenever so, you, you sent me, you sent me a message saying that like, you know, for, for what, like a, a stretch of nine years, he was at a, he was at a different radio station every year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was one of those guys. And in, 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 uh, uh, I think it was Johnny O was talking a little bit about him growing up in a, in radio. And every six months or a year, you're 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 going from from one uh, one town to the next. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I don't rem I don't remember all the places um, that my mom and dad were at before I was born. But uh, he was in he was uh, got to start in L.A., was down to San Diego, up to up to. Um, uh, 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 Ventura, California, and then I was born in 1950 in Laramie, Wyoming, and then, <laughs> then somewhere in between, they moved back to Ventura. You know, six or eight months there, and back to Laramie. So my brother and I were born at the, in the same town, but it wasn't all the same stint. <laughs> right. uh, old KOWB Cowboy Radio. Um, wow. And then eventually we were in Pensacola, uh, Fairmont, uh, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember all the places. That's, um, so your the, the, your mom had to have been just an incredible woman to just be like, oh, okay, we're picking up everything again. Oh, okay, we're picking yeah. up everything. Like, I, I, I get anxiety at the fact that I might have to pack and go away for a weekend, let alone pack up <laughs> my entire house. 
again yeah. and pack up again. So of course they're yeah. are, are they are they buying homes at this time? Like I, I like the logistic no. the logistics of it all is just like boggles no. my mind. No, we we didn't we did we lived in apartments. Right. Uh you know, we rented houses, those those kinds of things. And she put up with it till about nineteen fifty five. And uh, you know, it was the, the two us two boys, uh and so uh, my dad now at this point in time, and he worked for a variety of different people. Uh, at this point in time, he worked for a fellow by the name of Connie B. Gay. And, and folks that know the old 40s, 50s, 60s radio history, especially country radio, Connie B. Gay is the guy that coined the phrase country music. Okay. And, uh, and a pretty famous guy. And I'll tell you more about him, but, but uh, continue with, with, with the, with the name change and, and, and the, uh, and everything else. When we were in Fairmont, Connie B. Gay said, you know, hey, I got want you to go to a new place. Well, with my mom's insistence, <laughs> my dad went to him and said, I can't be going someplace different every year. I got kids. I got a family. You know, we want to settle down. He says, I understand. How would you like to be the general manager of a station in Lexington Park, Maryland? And he goes, oh, that would be great. So he, he is uh, headed down to Southern Maryland, coming out of Washington, D.C., heading down to you know, um, along the Potomac River. Okay. And he's thinking, I don't want to be at Lenaway anymore. Um, I got to come up with a different name. And he said, but the dog's name was Mr. Willie. So Willie, I like that. That's pretty good. But what am I going to have for a first name? I don't want to be Ed Willie. Don't want to be Mr. Willie. You know, what? what you, and as, as he's thinking about it, lo and behold, he passes a sign just outside of Lexington Park, Maryland, that is an insurance agency and the insurance agent's name is Willie Guy. <laughs> uh, so he says, I'm just flipping it. I'm going to be Guy Willie. And he's thinking this. He's thinking it through his head as he pulls in the parking lot at WPTX, old AM radio station, Lexington Park, and walks in. Everybody says hi to him. And he, and he says to him, oh, by the way, I never used my real name on the radio. I always go by Guy Willie. And it was the first time he'd ever said it out loud in his whole life. And so from 1955, and he died in 85. So for 30 years, he was Guy Willie. So, yeah, it I mean, it on his, that, it I mean, it on his tombstone. It, it says Guy Willie on his tombstone. Yeah. It does. It, uh, it doesn't say Ed, Ed. Quote, oh, it, 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 it says Ed Lenaway, but. Nobody, nobody in our town would know who it is. So underneath it says Guy Willie. You know, because uh, the people that were in the building then, whenever he comes in, he's like, "Oh yeah, hey, by the way, I'm Guy yeah. Willie." They don't know any yeah. different. It's they not like they don't know any, It's not yeah. like they were following him on Facebook or social media. There's no such thing. Yeah. They don't know this yeah. guy. They don't. They don't know Guy Willie from Ed Letaway. <laughs> no, they don't. And so growing up, everybody thought. That my mom was my real mom, and and my dad was my stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, that's not his real name. Right. And, and I'll will tell you something. I mean, he, he did his his last uh, fifteen years in in a little town in Pennsylvania, owned owned a station there, and you know everybody loved him. And he died in eighty five. Sold the station in eighty four. Uh, here we are. What you know, thirty some thirty five years later, I still run into people that go, was your dad guy, Willie? Oh, I loved him on the radio. You know, that's yeah. all these years. But that's yeah. unbelievable. So where, what yeah. little town in, in Pennsylvania? It's, it, the town is Kane, Pennsylvania. K-A-N-E. Okay, where's that? Uh, 
It is in northwestern Pennsylvania. Okay. So almost to New York State. Um, some of the folks may know Zippo lighters, of course, and Zippo lighters are made in Bradford. Got it. I'm about I'm about 20 miles from from uh, where they make Zippo lighters. Okay. Uh, and you're still and, you're uh, still in Kane. I I still live there. Yeah. I mean, I yeah after high school went to college was in the Navy. Bummed around in Florida for a while, and, and then my dad was getting ready to sell the station, so he wanted to give me first dibs on it. And I came back and worked for him for about a year, and realized it really wasn't for me. Now, if all I had to do was be on the air right. and sell advertising, it'd be great. But all that other junk goes with it: collection bills and FCC regulations. There's a lot of, sort of there, uh, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I I can't I you know it doesn't surprise me that your dad went from being a jock to um, to to owning radio stations because yeah. it, that was a time that that was feasible. Because sure. hey, you, you're somebody that has experience in this. What do you want to be a general manager? Do you want to be a sales manager? Do you want to sure. you know what I mean? Like, do you want to yep. do you want to you know go in on buying a station? Those types of things were you know more accessible. If you if you heard my podcast with Jimmy Roach, he's like, yeah, in Pittsburgh at one time there were twenty different owners. You know, for right. twenty different stations, that that type of thing isn't isn't necessarily the case anymore. There could be no, there no. could be twenty there could be twenty radio stations, and there's two owners that own eighteen of them, and then one owner that might own two. You know, so yeah. like yeah. owning a radio station now seems so foreign to me. But yeah. and you know, in years past, it it really wasn't that uncommon. No, and and uh, and my mom who she was the business person. She took care of the books and the FCC. And, you know, I can remember many a discussion where my mom was going, you can't write this on the log. There used to be actually hand, hand notes on logs in the old days. You keep, and she'd get after him for filling out the, the logs wrong. Right. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was pitiful, but that's uh, a, yeah. I got, I, I was, I didn't get let go from my college radio station. But uh, I was asked not to come back because <laughs> because uh, this is my freshman year because I had a show and it was called uh, Under the Covers with Chuck and Angela. And Angela was the oh. only only person I could find it on my hallway or in the dorm room that would have a radio show with me. So we, I was like, you don't have to do anything. You just have to talk with me. I was like, you don't have to play any music. I was like, I'll do all of that stuff. Well, I was playing uh, punk covers so it would be like a cover song for like brown eye girl or it would mm -hmm. be you know a, a cover song for you know uh, a simon and garfunkel song or something like that and oh, but and, it, and it's like it just it, it actually sounded like um <clears throat> somebody just hit like fast forward it was just like you know what i mean it was really fast but like i never screened the songs or never really listened to them all that much so it'd be like here's to you mrs robinson you're a fucking badass motherfucking bitch and it was like holy it was like oh my god you know what i mean so here i am a freshman and i'm like okay well the f word just uh played so i gotta write that on the log and I played like two or three songs that had like curse words in them. And I was writing it on the log like I was supposed to. And they were like, yeah, you, you can't, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. didn't, oh, God. then I was like, then I was, if I would have just had your mom there to be like, you can't put that on the log. 
and be like, that's, that's, right. yeah. that's what it is. You just can't put it on the lock. <laughs> yeah. That, that, well, she, she was good. That So he made a great team. Uh, you know, he, he was the, 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 I'll say the face of radio, you know, he was the voice. He, he was the MC of every event that ever took place down at the high school auditorium, you know, public things, you know, where the governor would show up or something. Yeah. He, he did all of that, all of that kind of stuff. But, and, it, uh, and it's, it's totally, it's totally ingratiating yourself in the community too, is it's oh, it not, is. it's not, I'm, I'm not just the radio guy and I clock out and then I go to the grocery store and I'm just a, an average person. Like when you're in that type of market, you know what I mean? Now you yeah. are, I'm surprised that he, was he an announcer at the football games and stuff like that too? Because, you know, just no, kinda... I did that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess when I was, when I was younger, before I got into radio, cause I started at 12. Wow. Uh, okay. So and, that was going to be uh, my question next is I, you know, in our brief, you know, uh, email exchange and text exchange, I was going to say like, it, it's kind of hard for you not to get into radio, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my brother, sister, and I, we all did. My brother and I kind of liked it. My sister hated it. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, now, we're not professionals. It's small town radio. People think nothing of picking up the phone and calling. If they want to call and make a request, that's fine. But um, Gabby was actually a decent announcer. She just was scared a a little bit. And, um, and And if she'd play a song that somebody doesn't like, because we didn't have like a program manager, you, you know, it was a half hour country western. You 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 played the, the country western, whatever. So if anybody would call up and say, "Hey, Gabby, I don't like that song. You're terrible," she would take it to heart. Oh, take take it to heart. And here's how we know because we're all doing the after school thing. We'd all be sitting around the table eating dinner, and of course, in our house, the radio never turned off. Of course, uh, it, it was it was on all the time. Pretty soon, my dad goes, um, Mom, I think you need to get out of the studio. Why? I haven't heard Gabby say anything for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> she's, just, she's just playing, playing commercials and records, and, and sure enough, go down there and poor Gabby's crying. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my now, my brother and I, we would, we would care less. We we did we flip the mic open and go. Hey, guess what? Some idiot just called. He didn't like of that course, song. yeah. Throw it right you know? into the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so now yeah. I I worked in I worked in country music uh, from about 2006 to uh, up until about a month and a half ago, whenever my position was eliminated. So like uh-huh. co- country to me before, and I was talking about this uh, last episode with uh, uh, Erica Kay, she's out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, you know, whenever I started in in country, I was like, I, it was just whatever I could get the job in. I don't care if, is it country? Is it pop? Is it, you know, sure. it, whatever. I just, need, I just wanted to be on the air. I didn't really, I, th- the music to me never really, never really mattered. You know, I right, mean, of yeah. course, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to play up records. I'm going to, I'm going to talk up artists and because I'm going to, you know, go to the format, but like what I'm really talking about, you know, outside of the music, it could pretty much go anywhere. So, sure, yeah. you know, whenever I got into country, you know, it was, it was at the height of Kenny Chesney, uh, uh, Toby Keith and their careers. Uh, of course, Tim McGraw and, 
and it, it there was a real there was a real change whenever like Florida Georgia Line came in on board. But w- yeah. But whenever we first started the conversation, you were talking about a guy that coined the phrase country music. So can you yeah. talk, talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Let me let me tell you about this song named Connie B. Gay. And and uh, let me first of all preface this by saying this is from my recollections from what my dad told me. So, okay. Uh, don't. Uh, you know, don't uh, don't Google uh, you. Don't don't, don't call, Google this hey, in, in, in in Wikipedia. Or don't don't but, call uh, up Gabby. Don't call up Gabby yeah. and <laughs> don't, yeah. don't make yeah. Gabby cry. Yeah, and so uh, um, and 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 we'll get, uh, so Connie B. Gay was the second guy that my that my dad worked for. The first one was actually Gene Autry. That's who gave my dad his start in radio. The Gene uh, Autry. The Gene Autry, and, and I got a story for that. But let me tell you about Connie B. Gay. Okay. Connie B. Gay, I, I, my dad met him in Arlington, Virginia, W-A-R-L, and that, that's true. You can look that up anywhere. Um, and, and my dad was, uh, he was a first-class FCC licensed guy, and that was his primary job. And then he'd fill in whatever else they need, make commercials or do radio work. He wasn't really a disc jockey personality uh, too much uh, in 1948. I'll say wow, W-A-R-L. Okay. Yeah. 40, 48. So he'd been in the business a couple of years because he got out of the service, went to like radio, television, technical school, and then, then got into radio. But so his number one job was the guy, because when it, when transmitters were tubes, they needed, they need tweaking every day. Yeah. Uh, make sure you stayed on, on the signal and, uh, and everything else like that. So he, um, um, uh, Connie B. Gay at WARL did a sort of uh, uh, Grand Old Opry wannabe program uh, at, in Washington, D.C. at the Armory. And it was a three-hour live program. thousand people would come. He broadcast them live over the radio <laughs> and live to the audience. Yeah. And, uh, and so my dad's part, he was the one making sure it sounded good going over the radio. And there was somebody else doing the doing the, the live stuff. So there's bands. We're talking Eddie Arnold and all of that kind of junk. Um, so uh, in comes, you know, and they got it. Their their show starts at three in the afternoon. They're there at ten in the morning. Of course, started to set up, and they got the doors open and loading and, and things. And this kid, nineteen years old, comes walking up and says, "Hey, you need some help?" My dad says, "No, we got." It. He says, "No." He says, My dad says, "We're not hiring." The kid <laughs> says, well, "I don't want to get hired. I just." want to help out he says well cool you know help me so he carries the junk in they, they do all the cables and week after week this kid keeps coming back he's starting to get to meet the artist he plays guitar he's learning a few chords he's having a blast and all of the all of the people there the regulars get to know him pretty good so one day the big artist and i'll say Eddie arnold i don't know who it was now he's being introduced by the mc the crowd's all whipped up they're applauding they're excited as the guy's walking across, he's waving and looking at the audience, not paying attention to where he's walking. He trips and falls, you know, smashes his guitar, hurts his arm. <laughs> now he can't perform. And this is live. <laughs> so so, the, so the, the poor producers go like, stretch, stretch. They're reading every commercial that they can. They, they go to find the band that's supposed to be on next. Yeah. Well, of course, they're out back having a cigarette and a beer, uh-huh. and, uh, and they're going, oh, man, it'll take us 20 minutes to get set up. So now they're panicking, and my dad says, hey, what about this kid that's been helping me? Why doesn't he jump up on the stage and sing a couple of songs? And, the, and the, so the MC says, yeah, sure, get up here. He says, kid, can you do three songs? He says, sure. 
He says, so he, as he steps up to the microphone, the guy's going to introduce him. He says, hey, everybody, I'd like to introduce you to. He says, kid, what's your name? He says, Jimmy Dean. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, Jimmy Dean got his start. And, uh, of course, the, the people loved him. And, uh, you know, we were we, we were family friends with Jimmy Dean till he, he got too big in TV and stuff like that. That's unbelievable. Oh, that was that was. Uh, yeah, it was cool. So and he, he was so, such an exponential guy. And he and he just played he just played three songs that night. Everybody was. He did. Everybody they flipped loved out. Him. Yeah. And yep. it was like, oh, we got to get him back. Tony B. Gay came and said, I owe you one, dude. What do you, what do you want to do? And he said, I'll take you under my wing. And it was an overnight success by any means. He, uh, I think he ended up being a DJ for a while and took him down to Nashville and all that other kind of stuff. Wow. Um, but, uh, but Connie B. Gay became a producer. He owned the artist back in those days, the, the, the you know, the, the record company and the, and the people, they, they owned those guys. Of and course. I think he has four, five, six people, that were Connie B. Gay discoveries that are in the country country music hall of fame. So, and, uh, and then he was he was the one that like coined the phrase country music because I yeah. was I was watching some of those those PBS specials uh, just that was it was strictly dedicated to country music and I I didn't get I didn't watch all of them. But whenever, whenever it was around this time, they were like, "We don't really necessarily know what to call this music." It's like, right. it's like hill, oh, hillbilly, hillbilly uh, music, and, uh, and, and folk uh, music. Uh, yeah, he he actually started a program called uh, Country and Western, Town and Country, something like that. Yeah, and and then he developed. He said, oh, I like the phrase country music. And again, I don't know this for sure, but I think he actually got it trademarked. Oh, wow. And uh, something like that. But he he made tons of money. Now, uh, have you been to Nashville and stayed stayed at the Gaylord Hotel? I've been through the Gaylord Hotel. Yeah, I've been to Nashville three times. And the first time I went, um, (laughs) I... uh, my aunt, I was, I like basically had been working in country music for about a year. And you know, whenever you're the low man on the totem pole, like this is like, this is like, I'm like 23, 24 at the time. Um, you know, you don't get the good vacation. You know what I mean? So like all of the, the morning, the morning people, the afternoon, even the overnight, like everybody puts in their vacation time, but like at 24, you know, you're 24 years old. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do next week. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, let alone plan ahead a vacation like six months in advance. So I would always get the vacation time that was like outside of the ratings period because you couldn't take a vacation during the ratings period. So I would, my vacation was always like February, like February, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like February 18th, I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to take a week off. And for a couple years, I just took off. Uh, I had friends in Charlotte. I had friends in uh, Atlanta. I had uh, I didn't know anybody in Nashville, but I was like, you know what? I'll go to Atlanta via Nashville. So okay. I, I drove to Nashville one night. Uh, my aunt knew a lady that worked in like the country publication type of deal, and mm-hmm. uh, she told me what hotel to stay at. The next day, she and her husband picked me up in their Cadillac. And drove me around Nashville for hours, 
Like wow. we went to like the Gibson store. We went to the Gaylord hotel. We went to the Ryman. We went all over the place. Yeah. I mean, she gave me the grand tour. And, uh, as I understand, Nashville's just like an insane town now. Like oh, God. there's yeah. like, there's like a hundred people moving there per day. There's, yeah. It yeah. Ha- they, they have the, the largest collection of those high rise cranes in the country. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. insane, but about the Gaylord hotel. Yes. I, I've been there. Yep. So I'll make this simple. Connie B. Gay, Gaylord Hotel. He's the gay. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That's that's (laughs) how much influence this guy had. Wow. Had in Nashville. He's long gone now. But uh, yeah, he he was an unknown name behind the scenes making country western into going from hillbilly stuff. And I don't want to say Hank Williams like a bad thing, but, you know, to what evolved into the, you know, 60s the, and 70s. More the mainstream, like more the mainstream. Yeah he, yeah, he made it more mainstream. Wow. Um, and uh, now, I mean, he wasn't the producer sitting in the studio uh, kind of guy, but he was the executive producer of tons and tons of stuff all through the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm, uh, I'm probably yeah. going to have to post like the Connie B. Gay Wikipedia page uh, yeah. a- along with this podcast. Like, you should probably do some research on this, <laughs> on this guy. Yeah. Well, and, and and I probably should have read it first. Ah, <laughs> <So. laughs> uh, come on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's, it's accurate-ish. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but, but in my days, again, I'm older, I'm 69. So, uh, we got to meet lots of famous people, uh, 50, 60, 70. Cause they, in those days, they would still come around the studio and, of and especially new, new people. Um, and I couldn't tell you all the, all the folks I met cause we met them when they were new, by the time they're famous, I've forgotten who they were. Of course. Except, except one. Um, again, I'm 12 years old. It's 1963. Uh, my dad owned a station, uh, outside of Washington, DC called, uh, WSMD. It was the first FM station with an AM type format in 1960, uh, on the, in the mid, mid Atlantic. Okay. Um, and, uh, cause you know, in the fifties, 50, AM was the radio. FM was something you played at the dentist's office. Oh, okay. In the, in the, it flipped in the 60s, and my dad was the pioneer of that, anyhow. So a couple of years later, the the record company reps would stop by regularly. Here's your three or four or five 45s, you know, the, the radio version. Uh, you know, please play it. And they're promoting their, their records. And there, uh, are there is there money? Is there drugs? No, no. Is there, well, <laughs> there, <laughs> what, no, what's no, what's stuffed I mean, in that record to, to get a play? Yeah, there was payola going on and my dad said how come i'm not getting any of this payola? <laughs> yeah for for listeners that, that yeah. don't understand what he's talking about payola was like you, you know paying a dj paying a radio station to to get a song on the air that's that yeah. that's that's illegal now along with plugola which would be you know a dj getting a free service just to jump on the air for free and say, yeah. you know, hey, uh, you know, Jim Lenaway Construction came by and and did my kitchen, and boy, did they do a good job. And if if right. Jim Lenaway Construction isn't paying the radio station for advertising, 
it's it's illegal for that to go on. So there's payola yeah. and plugola. Another Wikipedia yeah. page you should probably look. At. <laughs> yeah. It's all but, legalese. Uh, yeah, no, no. These were guys. I mean, just giving out. I'll say three samples. You know, and, and and of course, saying please, please play, and they would introduce them uh, to my dad and, and me and other people that were there. Whoever the latest artist was, it's not like these people are in every day, but like once a month there would be seriously somebody that's come, come, it, coming by. Whenever I was in Pittsburgh, these people were coming in, like you said, once a month, once every yeah. maybe two months. Yeah, they were still doing radio yeah. tours at that time. Yeah. And so this was 63, and so it was very common. And so, and I don't remember the record company, I'm going to say RCA. The guy comes by, and he wants to introduce my dad to this, this fella. Turns out to be Bill Cosby. We're talking with people who certainly know how to tease what's coming after a commercial break. We'll be right back to the Face for Radio podcast. This podcast is sponsored in part by Fitz Scripps. You're a station manager. Your sales team needs fresh ideas and concise copy for client spots, but it's just not in the budget, right? To bring on a full-time hire? Enter Fitz Scripps. Fitz Scripps Marketing Consultancy is owned and operated by a big ideas radio geek with experience writing thousands of scripts for a variety of local businesses in both small and major markets. To learn more, visit fitzscripts.com. That's F-I-T-Z-S-C-R-I-P-T-S. Fitzscripts.com. Fitzscripts, compelling copy that fits. A portion of this podcast is brought to you by Witty Voyager. Looking for a gift that is unique as the person receiving it? Witty Voyager is a company created by two sisters in collaboration with their dad, they started crafting at a young age with their Nana, who taught them how to crochet and make cool things with plastic canvas. Now, they make cool things out of leather, wood, yarn, resin, and whatever else they choose to experiment with next. You can shop their handcrafted leather earrings, studs, necklaces, crocheted beanies, ornaments, magnets, and barrettes. And go to wittyvoyager.com, use the code face for radio at checkout for 20% off. That's face F O R radio. And it's at wittyvoyager.com. Use the code face for radio. Welcome back to the face for radio podcast. And okay. Um, okay. Now, um, so my dad kept calling him Bill Crosby, by the way, because Bing Crosby was still popular in those days. Of, of course. And your and, dad worked for yeah. Gene Autry. So, yeah, same yeah. same realm, yeah. Yeah. So, um so he calls me over, introduces me, you know, I'm 12, I'm scared to death, you know, big, big tall guy, black guy, you know, and and uh, and we're in southern Maryland, which by the way was a, was a very prejudiced part of the country in the 60s, unfortunately. But luckily for me, my dad didn't care. Uh, he actually hired black people, which was which was kind of uh, uh different in 63. I mean, this is uh you know, March on Washington had, had just taken place. But anyway, so so uh, they've got this record, this Bill Cosby comedy thing. And, you know, people didn't play comedy on the radio. Yeah. So they, my dad gives it to me, says, Jimmy, why don't you go in Studio B and play that? Tell us what you think. So I go over in the studio, and and, I, and I'm not that adept at it. It takes me a few minutes to get it figured out. Okay, i got to 
play it here, run it through this pot, through the speaker, and I want to be able to hear it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So they're out there chatting, and I finally get the record going. And about that time, Bill says to my dad, do you think that your son likes my my uh, my record? And as they look through, you know, the big plate glass windows? Uh, of course, yeah. Between, between studios? Yeah. They look through the window, and about that time, I'm laughing so hard, I fall right off of the chair, and I'm on the ground holding my stomach. <laughs> and and it, was, it was a routine he called, there's a nut in every car. Uh, for old Bill Cosby fans, I'm laughing so hard I can't breathe. My dad turns to him and says, "Yeah, I think you think this is pretty funny." <laughs> so, so of course we played that, and uh, and I was a you know big huge Bill Cosby fan for years and years, and you know just heartbroken over the latest stuff. But uh, uh, what a shame because he is so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, but I mean, was, you know, especially especially being at such a ground level. Of, of his career where oh, Bill, yeah. Bill Cosby, I mean, he was America's dad. Uh, he was, yeah. And, and you're listening to him whenever you're 12 years old, you know, and, and he's like touring radio stations trying to get his record played. And and that meteoric rise to, you know, yeah. the, the uh, just the juggernaut that he became and such a, a drastic fall from grace. Uh. Yeah. Uh, and in yeah. the entire, you know, most of that career is, is he was doing those horrible things and you're like, and, and if you, if the best way that I heard kind of, um, taken about all that is, uh, is if Dave Chappelle hit one of his specials, mm-hmm. um, and, and my wife and I saw him in Hershey too, where he was talking about this superhero and the only way that this superhero could gain his powers is to have uh, sex with a woman. And then he could go off and he could save babies and he could save cities and he could just do all these amazing things. But first he had to have sex, but he was ugly and he didn't have any money. So he had to rape so he could go and save people. And it was like Dave Chappelle trying to figure out how to rationalize in his brain how Bill Cosby was able to uh, give to the uh, uh, you know historical black colleges and donate a bunch of money, send a lot sure. of, of of black students through college, but at the same time yeah. he's doing all of these horrible things. It's like oh, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. It's super yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it's tough, but uh, yeah. So the, yeah, we had a lot of fun fun doing all those, those I, bet, I bet I bet so sure, now that we're now that we're in December uh what do we you, your dad worked for Gene Autry so is this like before he started working for Connie B. Gay yeah yeah um so right out of this school and again I'm gonna say 47 his first job was uh working for a radio station that Gene Autry owned and now Gene Autry was like superstar at this time so it, it's not like my he and my dad were best buddies right um but i mean he'd met him a couple of times and um so it was uh uh and i don't know much about the on-air experience at whatever radio station he was at in um uh in, in los angeles uh and in that time my mom and dad got married in there somewhere okay um but mrs autry became good friends with my mom Huh. And knew that my mom 
liked to play cards and became part of the Canasta Club. You know, the Tuesday night ladies would get together well, over at course. Mrs. Autry's house and play um, Canasta. Um, and one day, Mrs. Autry comes into the ladies and says, I need your help. I've got this song that Gene hates. He won't sing it. And she's got the original sheet music handwritten out by the guy who wrote the music, sets it down on the piano and says to my mom, Rita, you can play piano and sing, right? Yeah, I can. Play this song and we'll all sing it. You ladies tell me what you think about it. <laughs> it was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the second person to ever sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was my mom. That is but, so, so cool. So Mrs. Autry goes upstairs and says to Gene, the ladies love it. you got to sing it. And he goes, all right, I'll give it one shot. That's it. And, uh, you know, and it was his biggest number one hit ever. And he did a lot of, he, he had done other Christmas songs before that. But when they were going through the, the all of the stacks of Christmas songs, he didn't like Rudolph. But, yeah. But, I, can yeah you, they, like, they stuck you, you, do you think all the money that he made off of that song, like his wife, like every single dollar gave him that look, <laughs> you know, I gave him that look just like, I told you, yeah. yeah. Hey, I told yeah. you, I told yeah. you. And, uh, you know, all uh, over card but, club too. But you know, he, he probably had to go sing that a whole bunch of times. And oh. he probably irked him every time he had to sing it. Every time, know? every time. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know, but, uh, uh, that's yeah, a good that, story, Jim. That's a really no, that, good story. That, that was, you know, fun, fun to tell those things like that. That and, is uh, a good my story. Mo my mom had a, uh, uh, when she left the card club after a couple of years, um, they gave her a gift. It was one, this is the days when wealthy people would give somebody like silver things. She had this silver tray, you know, yeah. to read it from the, the Canasta club and, Every time people would look at it, she'd have to tell the story again. <laughs> About playing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, playing Rudolph that. the Red-Nosed Reindeer, yeah. All the, yeah, so we heard that story lots of times. Uh, that, that was a blast. Wow. Uh, I'm so glad that Laura connected us, man. That's These are just yeah. some, these are some phenomenal stories. They definitely yeah. need to be told. Uh, oh, and gosh, it, and it, it's really it, it's really no shock to me, uh, as you heard whenever I was talking with Johnny O on a couple episodes ago. He, you know, he grew up in California, so whenever you say that your dad wasn't a prejudiced guy, it it just makes sense. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Living on the yeah. West Coast, that 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 I mean, not saying that the prejudice wasn't there, but it was a little bit more progressive, a little bit more liberal on a on the coast. Absolutely. So yeah. and, and sure, uh, and he had a lot of Mexican bites. I mean. Uh, we were all eating tacos before there was Taco Bell, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right. he learned how to make it. Now he got in trouble a couple of times in San Diego because he was in a pool pool club shooting pool, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, eight ball, and uh, you know these guys would be teaching him Mexican phrases, <laughs> and he'd use them the next day on the radio. <laughs> Pretty soon the owner would call up, you know, hey, Guy <laughs> Willie. Well, he didn't call him Guy in those days, but hey, Lenaway, you can't be using that that uh, phrase on the radio. And, they, <laughs> uh, he, yeah, he, and I, I'm sure he did not log that. Uh, but, right. Uh, hey, but, uh, hey, uh, they they told it to me after a couple beers, man. I what? 
You know, yeah. I, I had it written yeah. down. I, th- I thought it was, you know, I thought it was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, but you know, it, it, I mean, cause he was, he was always a town hero wherever he was at, whatever town we were in, everybody loved him. Uh, and, and why do you, great why, habit, why do you think that is? Like that. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? What, what was about his personality that like everybody just loved him? Well, first of all, he, he, he was like, I'm going to say, your famous neighbor um, and, and treated, the, you know, the, the president of the company the same as he did the guy that, that cleaned the floors. Uh, and, and we grew up learning that uh, from him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great example to have. Um, and just a, sort of a regular, everyday guy. Um, and and yeah, he owned that station in the DC market, which he ended up um, uh, selling to Plow Radio back in those days. And, and then at that point, he had a choice. Now, my brother and I, we couldn't believe that he made this choice, but his choice was to buy this small town radio station, one one market, you know, place, or he was offered the job to be the general manager of some big radio station in Honolulu. And my brother and I, we're 15 and 13 going, this is not a choice. Right. You know, bikinis, Honolulu, beach, let's go. Surfing, yeah. <laughs> and and so uh, he and my mom said, nah, I think we're going to get this little station in, you know, this town of 6,000 people in Pennsylvania. Oh. And my brother, we were so disappointed. In the snow oh, belt, too. Oh, yeah, the icebox of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no, doesn't even have a traffic light. You know, oh, we got my. one now. Um, so that, I mean, but but still when he, but for him, it was fabulous. He got the cane yeah, within months. He's everybody's buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he would, he would do a, a weekly show down at the coffee shop, an open mic thing called the Chit Chat. He'd just be in the back table. There'd be a sign on the air, WKZA. You'd have a microphone, whatever you wanted to talk about. People come and just chat about, you know, what fish they caught or whatever thing was going on in the wow. day. And, yeah. And uh, and he would do stuff like that. He cared about the community, and uh, and it showed, and, and, and people loved him. Uh, and he just had a way about um, looking at who he's talking to and saying, what's important to this person? Mm-hmm. Um, very, very much so. And, and do I have time for one more story? <laughs> oh, oh, we've got plenty of time. Yeah, we could. There, right. There's there's so many more things that I want to ask you. But yeah, go ahead. But but here's my favorite story of, of why I was proud of my dad. Um, in 1969, uh, I'm 18. I'm, I'm just finished my freshman year of college. Of course, working summers at the radio station. By the <laughs> yep. way, I never got a paycheck from my dad until I was about, <laughs> you know, I don't know how old I was. No, but you got all the but Bill Cosby records that you ever wanted. I got the Bill Cosby records. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I got the eat and, 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 and concert uh, that, tickets that kind of and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they were freebies to him. But uh, uh, anyhow, so the um, uh, in 1969, Arnold Palmer was the spokesman uh, for the American Heart Association. And he would, several times a year, go to places and do an exhibition golf match, raise money for the Heart Association, where, raise awareness and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the folks at Zippo Lighters hear about this. Guy's a big golf fan. 
they put up the money. Let's bring Arnold to Smithport, Pennsylvania, and let him play at the course. And and so and this this thing, the, the Arnie folks were so good at organizing things. Uh, everybody, all the teenagers in in every country club within uh, fifty miles was was playing in their tournaments to, to, so that you could maybe be the caddy. Uh, all of the men were, were playing in their tournaments and it, it, it went on for weeks. It built up huge for this thing in August. So that, yeah, um, they were organized. They were like, we need oh, to, yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Build, so, build it up, build the excitement. Oh, build, build it up, build the excitement and everything. And of course we've got press passes, my dad and I. Okay. I mean, there's TV stations, you know, Buffalo, Erie, Pittsburgh, Johnstown, you know, they're, they're all there with the TV cameras. And so there's what, 40, 50 people there in this press corps. And we get to watch him warm up. Um, and they called that a, like a golf clinic or some sort of name as he's warming up. And the, the big VIP folks, uh, about 20 or 30 of them that paid big bucks, they, they actually, they're right on the tee with him as he's warming up. And, and we're, we're kind of back from them. And he, and he goes through that for about an hour. And um, then he played the round, which was a blast. Um, that was super, uh, him and three local men. And then there were four teenagers as, as, as the caddies. And that was fabulous. Um, and he, he pulled off some just incredible shots. So then in the evening, there was a big dinner and, and, uh, you know, so the, the, before the dinner, they're having the actual press time interview down in the locker room of this little tiny country club. And the guy who's, uh, I'll say the handler for Arnie that's organizing all this stuff, he's got a list of all of the people there for the press, and it's in alphabetical order. And the first guy on the list is some sports guy from a TV station somewhere, but they don't, it's not like today. Those cameras and lights and everything took a while to get set up. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't ready. And so the, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the guy says, well, is anybody ready? So my dad just, you, you go first. So I take my little tape recorder up there, and and he's just at a uh, you know a folding table and a couple folding chairs. I am so nervous to be next to Arnold Palmer. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like being next to Tiger Woods today. Of course, I mean it. You know, I can hardly breathe. My mouth is dry. My hand <laughs> is shaking so bad. I'm pushing the wrong button on the record record on the tape recorder thing. So he helps me. <laughs> Arnie's got to help me. And I ask him some inane question about college people playing golf or whatever. And he's very nice. He answers my question. I don't remember anything what what it was. Yeah. And, and by the way, I've lost the tape and I'm heartbroken about that. But so then they go through all by, by the time I'm done and the guy in the, in the handler's timing everybody. You get five in. Right. So he's timing everybody. So by the time I get finished, now the TV guy's ready and they're going down through the list. Well, my dad, who's got Willie. He's last on the list. And so, uh, and it's been kind of a long day, you know, there's been a 12, 15, 18 different people doing interviews. And so uh, Arnie's got to have a cigarette and go to the bathroom. And uh, so he, so he comes back and, and, and now it's my dad's thing. And so my dad has actually got a real tape recorder, a little, little microphone on a stand. And uh, you know, the guy says, you know, it's about ready to do the, the introduction. My dad doesn't pay any attention to that, to the handler. He just puts his business card down in front of Arnie, points at it, turns the tape recorder on, sits back and says, Hey, Arnie, how's it going? 
Blarney picked up right away, looks down at the card and says, Guy Willie, how are things in Kane, Pennsylvania? And they just start having this chat. Right. Now the 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 the, the sportscasters are asking him about why did you hit this shot at the US Open? Why did you do that and all that other kind of stuff? Uh-huh. My dad goes, So tell us about the American Heart Association. Arnie just smiled and has this big chat and they talk about things. The five minutes is up, but the handler's going, cut, cut, you're done. Arnie's waving them off. You know, this is what I'm here for. Exactly. So, and, and they finished up the thing. And now everybody's packing up. My dad's packing the things up. And they're trying to get Arnie up the stairs uh, to the thing. And Arnie sees me across the room. He cuts through all of this crowd of people and equipment, all that sort of junk, walks up to me and says, is that your dad? And I said, it was, he said. Best interview I've ever had. Wow. Walked upstairs. Wow. And, whew, yeah. That was precious. Yeah. The, so uh, I, I'm sorry. I get a little teary eyed every time I think I, of that story. That is a fantastic story, Jim. That is a fantastic yeah. story. And it's yeah. and, and I and I I just need to tell a story just to parallel it because it's almost sure. it's it's almost the exact type of situation. So and it's this it's this summer of of 2019, and right. um, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. is holding a. Uh, uh, a benefit at a, a a golf course in Harrisburg, and the the TV stations are get interviews. And my co-host at the time, uh, she was a, a the news director, so she used to get those invites too. So you, you weren't even allowed to say who was at this golf outing before five o'clock, before everybody could get out of town. So okay. it is like. It is like the world's coolest sports bar, you know, leading up to the start of this uh, scramble. So there's like Barry Sanders is there. Um, oh, wow. Br- Brooks Robinson. Um, uh, there's uh, there's uh, uh, Dr. J. There was uh, Joey Porter, Terrell Davis. Uh, there's, I mean, it's just this. Oh, oh, oh my. Uh, exactly. L- Lawrence Taylor. Like there's just like an insane amount of sports stars that are there. Ahmad Rashad. Um, you name a, you name a, a hall of famer. He's probably at this golf outing and I'm sitting there and we're allowed to like go around and interview people. And then Cal Ripken jr. Was going to be doing an interview later. So we got to talk with some people and, <clears throat> and as much as I, as much as I love sports, I just didn't have like a Wikipedia page pulled up, like ready to ask people about whatever. So we were just defaulting to like, you know, Hey, we're near Hershey PA. What's your favorite chocolate bar? So, (laughs) so we're on the first tee and there's a foursome before Cal Ripken jr. And then there's Cal Ripken jr's foursome. That's going to tee off after them. So, it's uh, it's Cal Ripken Jr. and then a, a corporate guy's there, and they're talking about the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation, and the TV stations are set up, and Cal comes over, and it's just me and an iPad and a microphone, and uh, <clears throat> he goes, well, this is like a press conference. Who wants to start? And I go, I was like, uh, I, I got, it. I'll, I'll take the first question, and I go, uh, we're near Hershey. What's your favorite chocolate bar from Hershey? <laughs> And, you know, you could tell that, you know, him, he was like, he, he wanted to talk about his foundation, but he also appreciated the softball question. 
all right, sure. Right, let's yeah. talk about let's talk about chocolate. So he goes, uh, he goes. I think I just like the the regular Hershey Kiss. So the TV stations asked their questions about the foundation, baseball, and stuff. And then I go, <clears throat> I knew he was a Maryland boy. So I, I I go just to wrap things up, Cal, if you don't mind, real quick. I go, you can only pick one, uh, Natty Bow National Bohemian Beer, Natty Bow or Old Bay. You can only pick one. And he just he's just smiling ear to ear. He's just like he he's like, oh, how could I pick one? That's impossible. You know, they go so good together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know that the, that wraps up the press conference and it's all done. So he's like, I got to go over here and warm up. So the press is just kind of lingering around the first hole. Well, the foursome in front of them is Barry Sanders's foursome. So each athlete gets three guys that paid probably a ton of money to the golf with. Oh yeah. And then, and then Cal had his three guys. Well, Cal's warming up and the press is just kind of milling around being quiet. And he's like swinging his golf club, like a baseball bat. And I just, he swung one and I, I made a comment like line out to short or something like that, or, you know, pop up to Mm -hmm. left field. I forget what I said. And he starts laughing and he walks over and he goes, Hey, um, does Hershey make the crackle bar? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think they, I think they do. He goes, I really wanted to say crackle bar, but I didn't want to be wrong. So I just went with the Hershey kiss. And I was like, <laughs> so, yeah. so now I'm like talking with him about the other guys and what they said in that question. So I'm like, oh yeah, Ahmad Rashad said he liked Hershey's with almonds and all this stuff. So, and now we've got to be quiet because Barry Sanders is teeing off. So, Barry Sanders is taking forever. It's one of those long setups. No. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I hate he, he's just taking forever, taking forever. And I go, I was like, this is going to be a line drive to left field. I was like, he is not hitting this straight. And like, and, and I'm as close to Cal as I am to this microphone right now. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh yeah, he's definitely had some lessons. You can tell. And he, he ends up uh, slicing the shot. And he was like, he was like, Hey man, good questions. He was like, thanks for coming out today. And I was like, yeah, I, I was it, it, like, here I am like critiquing Barry Sanders golf setup with one <laughs> of the greatest baseball players that's ever played. I'm like, it's so unbelievable. And, yeah, and yeah. I, 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 I completely hear you whenever you're having this surreal moment yeah. of Arnold Palmer coming over and just being like, yep. Hey, your dad's pretty awesome. Yeah, that was, that was cool. And, and I think and it's that, really funny. I just wanted to point this out that Zippo brings Arnold Palmer in to talk about the American Heart Association, and he yeah. needs to and he needs to take a cigarette and a bathroom yeah, break. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. Yep, uh, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, well, it's '69. I mean, you know. It's, that uh, which uh, right. I guess everybody knew knew things were bad. But Hi- hindsight is hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Sure, a- a- absolutely. So, so uh, I, there's but, there's a there's another story <laughs> that I I wanted you to tell the podcast okay. listeners, and it's it's something that you did uh, on the radio because I, I, I love the, I love the stories about your dad. I will, I, I definitely need to have you back on for maybe another episode and we can go a little bit deeper into, uh, into your dad's career or your career, but you were, you did a, a, a segment called captain cafeteria. Oh yeah. That stupid thing. Uh, <laughs> I need to know more about that. 
Well, uh, when my dad sold the radio station, uh, and I was working part-time for him, you know, yeah. uh, doing like some football games and some weekend things and that, that kind of stuff. I had gotten a job at a, at, at an office uh, at a factory in, in town in, in, in that time. And that, he actually helped me get that job. Uh, uh, he knew the vice president down there. Okay. And so, uh, so anyway, when the station, station sold, the new owner said, Hey, would you be willing to stay on and do a few things? I said, sure. Like, uh, you know, so I'm doing the Saturday morning, um, uh, you know, shift. And um, he comes in one day and, and says, you know how now uh, <laughs> any sort of DJs out there that are used to big city markets are going to be surprised to hear this. But in a small market, you have programs like every morning you read the school lunch menu <laughs> so that the parents know, you know, if you're having hot dogs for lunch, don't have hot dogs for dinner. So it was important information to get the school menu out there. I mean, it's, it, it's in the newspaper every day. It was on the radio every day. Yeah. So he, he said that he'd actually gotten the local bank to sponsor the, you know, reading the, 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 the uh, school menu, the lunch menu. He said, but I want it to sound a little different. He said, so I don't, you know, you're only on on Saturdays, so they may not know your voice. So why don't you do it? Um, and then, you know, you just record it and I'll play it uh, each day. I said, okay, fine. So we're going to read the things. And, and I walk out and I go, man, that's boring. That is terrible. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is, this is dry. It's, it's, it, this is, this is pitiful. So it's, so it's, I, it's, it's, it's a good showing of, of your upbringing and the fact that the radio was always on that you recognized what was boring and what was, what could uh, be yeah, better. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it, yeah. if, if you were just a part-time guy that was just off the street and he was like, yeah, just read this, you would have just read it and moved on with your life. But the fact that your dad was who he was and you knew what good radio was, you were like, you, you couldn't settle. Yeah, that's right. I, this, this, this was pitiful. So I go back in and I said, all right, how do you, how do you make this thing do an echo? And, and this was again, uh, well, let's see, what year would have this been? Probably, uh, 1979. Okay. I'm going to guess. Okay. Okay. Um, and so the, uh, uh, anyway, the, so to, to make it echo, you actually like, it's going into a tape, this reel to reel tape, and you turned up the volume on something, you turned up one of the other pots and it, and the echo was being recorded, be, uh, being effect because it's like, I don't, I'm not sure. Like a second I, behind. It was like, it would be yeah. like a second behind. Yeah. 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 And, and so anyway, so I'm like, um, uh, he says, yeah, you just go like this. And the more you turn it, the more it echoes and then you can turn it down. I said, okay. I said, here's what I'd like to do. <laughs> he says, go for it. And I go. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good old Captain Cafeteria. And he said, here's your lunch menu for today. And I read the, 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 the lunch menu. Well, uh, this this guy is, is you know, falling out of the doorway laughing so hard. He comes back in and says, I love it. And, and within a, within a, so on Saturdays, I'd record five of these things, you know, for the next week. By the next weekend, um, uh, this this other girl that was on the radio station that, that 
ended up being my wife years later. Um, she, she comes in and, and she's an actress. She hated radio. She liked theater, but she comes in and now she, what we did is we turned this whole thing into a, a melodrama, <laughs> this little uh, melodrama. So there was this intro, it was a donut. There was a intro, then read, read the menus. One of us would. And then, then there's this ongoing story. And the storyline was that there was this bad guy, Gerald Junk Food, a, a high school kid that, you know, that was doing the Saturday afternoons. He did Gerald Junk Food's voice. Uh-huh. Beth, Beth was Molly Menu, and I did Captain Cafeteria and his sidekick, Nestor Nutrition. I did two voices. <laughs> and, and Captain Cafeteria was this bumbling idiot. Okay. It, it, this Nestor Nutrition, who was a dog who could talk, was really the hero, was the smart guy. It's, it's like Robin telling Batman what to do. Right. Um, and, and, Nest, and Gerald Junkfood was trying to get Molly Menu to eat junk food, like Twinkies and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Captain Cafeteria was going to save her from eating all of this. And he, he, <laughs> think he was going to fly in through the window and he'd hit the wall and fall down and <laughs> and we just we would just do fake sound effects right. if it, if, and it was recorded live i mean whatever came out that's what we stayed with and some of the mistakes were the funniest things on there oh i'm sure and we did that we did that for two years and it was a riot now we're all using these cartoonishy voices so nobody knows who we are exactly. they think that they think the owner bill bought this thing from some big fancy place. Yeah. And so, so, um, about a year and a half into it, I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't even that long, maybe about three months into it. I'm over at work. We're taking a 10 minute coffee break and we're all sitting around there. And one of the guys at work goes, have you guys heard this stupid show on the radio <laughs> called Captain Cafeteria? And they're all going, stupid, I love it. This is great. My kids could hardly wait to hear it. You know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Said, and, and, and I'm sitting there trying not to say anything. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And I don't know why, but this fellow looks at me and he goes, oh, my God. That's not you, is it? And I just fucked up laughing. <laughs> so, said, yeah, that was it. But you can't tell anybody. Captain Cafeteria, man, that Captain is so. Cafeteria. That is so. That that epitomizes small radio, small market radio. Oh, that is. And, and yeah, it, it was it was great. And then that guy told the station and moved on, and you know. It was, it was dead after that. But right, it was, uh, and and those are the types of things. Those are the types of things in radio that like only live in the moment for a little bit, you know, that that still stick with people that are just like, that was so bizarre. That was so out of the box. It was like, it took the most mundane thing that we all needed to hear and made it so much fun. So, I mean, that's, I I really, I, I wish that I was still in radio that I could steal that right now because that's, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's just what radio is. You just steal a bunch of stuff. Well, Uh, I got the idea from when I was in college, I went to college for about a year and a half after high school uh, of a St. Bonaventure. Uh, drinking age was 18 in New York State, so I majored in beer drinking. Yeah. And and they had this stupid rule at, at, at Bonnie's where they wanted me to like go to class every day. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so I, I didn't do real well. Uh, they finally had had enough of me and uh, got rid of me, and I joined the Navy. And best thing that ever happened in my life, uh, getting in the Navy. But uh, – uh, 
But while I was up there, there was a Buffalo radio station. I mean, pretty, pretty big station because, you know, we're listening to it 50, 60 miles away. It had this thing called, uh, what the heck was the name of that, that thing? Uh, it, it was um, Chicken Man. Okay. Uh, and it would go, Chicken Man! And, and it was the same type of thing. So I took sort of the Chicken Man thing, Dudley Do-Right of the Mounties type deal, <laughs> my own goofy voice and, and I, you know, kind of stole the idea from chicken man. Right. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, it was not, not, uh, it, it was uh, not a hundred percent original. Uh, you know, just, it just changed the name to protect the innocent, but, uh, but yeah, uh, stole things and, like that. All. And you ended up, and you ended up, uh, marrying Molly menu. I ended up marrying Molly. Menu. <laughs> and, uh, and you just had a, but, you just had an anniversary, right? We did. Uh, well, yeah, we were married 37 years. Congratulations. And, and I got to tell you, though, that thing. Um, of course, when, when we're doing the radio thing, and and uh, and I've got to get my years straight here. It, that had to be 1980. Okay. And I'll tell you why I know these things, and it matters. When, when Beth worked at the radio station, and we were doing theater together, she couldn't stand me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, she was married. I mean, she didn't like me at all. Right. I'm, I'm this, I'm this beer drinking, cigarette smoking, divorced, womanizing, horrible guy. I mean, just, just terrible, just terrible. Uh, so bad that my bosses at the company I work at forced me to go to AA. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and for years, I was I, that whole anonymous thing was so precious to me. I didn't want anybody knowing anything. Eventually, I ended up being the AA spokesman. Um, and uh, but uh, and, and AA, I didn't warm up to it a lot at the time. I had a coworker that was my sponsor that would take me. Um, but uh, there was there was just this weekend where, I mean, I don't remember five minutes of the whole weekend, and I got up on Sunday morning and said, my my life is it's a mess. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to do something. I mean, AA is not working. Uh, you know, my ex-wife, my kids, they hate me. They're, they're going to fire me at work, blah, blah, blah. And walked into a church hmm. and, and, uh, sat there and heard this message and said, well, first of all, it was completely different than I'd ever heard before. Um, cause I always thought God hated me, you know? And, you know, <laughs> Uh, and I hear this message that, no, God loves you no matter what. And I went, not me. And, <laughs> yeah, he does. And and it just, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, say, that transformed my life. And um, uh, after that, then I wasn't, of course, it, it took me a while to quit drinking, uh, quit smoking, and, and, you know, got got serious about AA. And um, so then about six months later, then, and, and in the meantime, while I'm while this is going on, Beth ends up getting divorced, um, and doesn't have to do with me. She lives in another town. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, but um, then she uh, gets a job near where I live, and I bump into her one day. She she said, "How you doing?" I said, "Good." I said, "Let me tell you what happened to my life." And, and she went, "Wow, that's great." And I said, "You wouldn't want to go for a cup of coffee, would you?" Next <laughs> thing you know, you know we. She, now she likes me. I was a nice guy after that because I'm 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 dashingly handsome. Right. Know? I mean, it was uh, just course, the it was the addiction and the and the was, cigarette oh, smoke. Yeah. 
Oh, that, yeah, that's that's terrible. And, I, and it's funny. I just uh, was in a. Uh, I I host Twelve uh, uh, Steps for Christians uh, uh, weekly meetings now. Um, and uh, I was telling these guys a, a new group just started last week, and I said that making amends, having to go back to my ex-wife and kids, and apologize for those those rough years. Man, that was tough. Woo, I bet. Oh, that, that, that was, that was, that was brutal. So brutal are those there. types of, are those types of programs all over the country? Like if people were listening right now and they wanted to learn more about that type of thing, I know that, well, a, I, I think, know that AA is everywhere, but the, oh, AA is there. of course. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what I, what I hear about, and I've been a, I don't want to say guest speaker, but I've come and told my story at a thing called celebrate recovery. Uh, I don't know much about Celebrate Recovery, but they're held in churches, and they're a faith-based 12 steps for anybody. Okay. Uh, and I, I was so impressed with this because um, some people have drink problems, some people have drug problems, that's easy. But what if you're into watching too much TV or you're not a good enough husband or, you know, everybody's got all kinds of stuff. There's a whole, uh, you know, litany of things that, that could be problematic for you mm-hmm. uh, or reading um, uh, and, and, and whatever it happens to be. So these are social media. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a bad one for me. I'm on, <laughs> I love Facebook, <laughs> so, uh, but, um, the, uh, uh, so I came and, you know, uh, I knew one of the guys that, that went there, he was in one of my groups. So I, I came and it was, was, uh, uh, told my story at one of those things, but I hear that celebrate recovery is all over the country. Okay. Um, and it's, it's the 12 step program. It's just faith based. And, and, um, and one of the things that, that, you know, just for anybody that might be listening to this thing, uh, that actually, actually shocks a lot of folks is that the 12 steps, the original AA 12 steps, Bill W, all that kind of stuff, never talks about being sober. It talks about restoring your sanity. Okay, and so you know, we're we're all still crazy after all these years, right? You know, still crazy after all these years, <laughs> um, and it and and so that, and I don't mean to get off in this big whole tangent with this thing, but um, that insanity, the way I behaved before, man, tough, 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 stuff, and and so yeah, uh, yeah. Can yeah, I can I you, ask you a, 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 another question? Do you think absolutely. that do you think that like living with a dad that was so popular had, had any negative effect on your life with him bouncing around everywhere or being such a, a huge figure in town that he was that it may, you may have been like growing up in his shadow a little bit that may have driven you to find other avenues like alcohol or drugs or whatever. No, not, not because of that. I mean, uh, the, the notoriety, no, uh, or the moving, uh, th- those things. But every time we'd go out as a family, you know, have, you know, fish fry or whatever like that, next thing you know, people go, hey, guy willing, let me buy you a beer. You know? Right. And next thing you know, you know, it'd be three in the morning, my brother and sister and I go on, hey, uh, mom, dad, how are we going to get home? You know? Yeah. And, uh, I became the designated driver when I was 16. Of course. Uh, it was, yeah, I mean, it was. So it was, uh, it was, it was more of the culture 
than it was. Yeah. We, okay. Yeah. We, yeah, we were, you know, uh, you know, Irish Catholic, um, you know, you, you drank a beer to go get a beer type of thing. I and, gotcha. Uh, yeah. And so we just thought that's the way life was smoking, mm-hmm. drinking, you know, a uh, lot of socializing. Of course. And, uh, so my biggest problem was socializing actually. I'd get socialized and think I'm going to have a beer and next thing you know, it's 10. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tough, but that, that's, you know, that, and, and you've been, you've been sober now for how many years? 38 years. 38 years. 38 years. And, and if anybody wants to go on YouTube and type in Jimbo's testimony, I tell the whole story. It's a little eight oh. minute video. Okay. Yeah. Jim yeah. Lenaway so. and uh, and Guy Willie, man, those are some great stories. <laughs> and I, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you've been in a good place for a lot of decades now. And it yeah. sounds like you've got a really strong woman there to uh, by your side. So oh that's, yeah, yeah. Beth, Beth has been uh, tremendous, uh, without a doubt. So fantastic, yep. Jim. I can't thank you enough for joining me on the, on the Face for Radio podcast, man. This has been these are some really really great stories. Uh, what, what, yep. We'll definitely have Scott, to have you back. Yeah, man. This is, this is, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to go down memory lane a little bit uh, with me this evening. This is great. Yeah. Oh gosh. It, it, it's, it's been a blast chatting with you, Chachi. And I, I listened to your other, your other uh, uh, podcast uh, and, and I was fascinated to listen to what, what those Johnny O and those other guys uh, uh, had, had to say. It was, it was tremendously entertaining. Yeah. It, it, so. It's, it's funny because, you know, radio is something that we all live with but you don't necessarily know the stories behind the people, you know, no. that are that are putting it on and the whole organization that goes on behind it. So uh, yep. I, I appreciate you pulling back the veil for the listeners, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have you on again. This has been fantastic. All right, anytime, Josh. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye.